I've never done this before, so it's my first. I'm going to give you guys kind of a little synopsis of what my wife and I experienced uh, this last week, uh, and uh, um, I just have to tell you that if you got little ones in here, you might want to move them out because I'm going to talk about some pretty atrocious stuff. So um, just know that some of it's not appropriate for little ears, um, but it's, uh, it needs to be talked about. We read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 through 16, and this is what it says. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is a shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest in the light, and whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Then that, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil." I entitled this message, The World of Darkness, because uh, we live in a world of darkness, but so often we don't see it. We don't see the world of darkness. And so my wife and I were invited by Far-Reaching Ministries and uh, their website, if you got a pen, you might want to jot it down, you can check them out, is frmusa.org, frmusa.org. And um, many of you remember when Jonathan Domingo had come here um, back in September and talked with us and showed us some um, videos. And she, he had actually showed us a video of the safe house that, that uh, Connie and I, along with uh, three other pastors and their wives, visited. And so last week, my wife and I stepped into a world of darkness that was, it was tangible. Uh, Jonathan told us before we went, he said, if, if, the, if the video moved you, he says, this is, he says, double or triple that when you get there. And, um, and it was so true. There was a lot of tears shed this last week. And, um, you know, Paul says here, expose it, right? We talk about it and we, uh, we, we know it's real. And uh, a lot of people would, are gonna, that would hear the things that I'm going to tell you today would say, that's not real, but it is real. And, um, and so, uh, I don't Jamie, was you able to get those slides up? Okay. So I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be asking her, I'm not overly organized, but I'm going to ask her to put up a few slides. I got eight or 10 is all I, I've got. But, um, so we went to a country in South America, uh, where we saw some, some people, young people so damaged by this demonic force of darkness, almost to the point of total destruction. And, um, uh, we arrived at the safe house uh, for the children, boys and girls. It's about 50-50. Um, and the average age is eight years old. And um, uh, six months old being the youngest and 13 years being the oldest. And once they reach 13, then they have to, they have to uh, 
do something else. So this, this one is just a startup home to, to help these kids. And um, when we arrived on Tuesday, we went to the house, we hung out. We didn't know what to expect. What we found was kids laughing, playing, for the most part, what seemed like normal kids. I mean, they were just, just having a, a, just a great time. And, um, you know, we played, uh, played a little soccer. I jumped on the trampoline. I don't know if we got that video or that, that slide. Yeah. I did a backflip and I landed it. The kids thought it was cool. <laughs> I didn't tell them how bad it hurt the next day, but, but, uh, played soccer with them, went and played cars and the girls had dolls and, and all kinds of things. And, and, and it was just, it was cool. And I mean, they were so cute. And uh, some were, you know, some were standoffish, which is to be expected. Here's six men and five women that they, you know, some of them they had never seen before. And um, so they keep the boys and the girls in different areas for, for obvious reasons. Um, but, um, you know, so we, we played and had a little bit of ice cream, the the. The staff there was a little upset about the ice cream because we sugar them up and then we leave and then they have to deal with them. And, um, and so uh, that, was, that was pretty cool. Now, um, then what, as we you know, hung out with the kids and, and, um, and we started to learn some of their names and then, uh, and then begin to hear some of their stories. And... Uh, it was absolutely heartbreaking. All these kids uh, had been rescued uh, from seriously dark situations, some from sex trafficking. Um, some had been um, rescued from organ and blood harvesting. And uh, now they don't harvest the organs necessarily down there uh, f- to put in someone else, though we, we, uh, there are reports around the world that... that uh, People with a lot of money uh, actually do that, but but these guys, what they do is they extract the organs, and then uh, many, some religions in the world believe that if you eat the heart of a child, you receive uh, power in your life, and so that's what they do. And uh, absolutely disgusting. Some of this stuff we we hear it, and it's it's hard to get your mind around it, isn't it? And, and the blood, the blood thing, that's just something that. Um, I, I, I heard a little bit of talk about it while I was there, uh, but the blood harvesting is for uh, what do they call adrenochrome. So what they do is they get these kids all hyped up and scared to death and then torture them, and their body releases all this adrenaline and stuff, and then they harvest it. And, uh, and it's pretty documented. I mean, you can, you can check it out. But, uh, but that's actually happening. And... Uh, there was a, it's actually becoming kind of popular. There was a BBC uh, article in 2017. Its headline read, the super rich are injecting blood from teenagers to gain immortality. That they feel like if they put young blood into an old body. Listen, I know this thing is slowing down, but I don't need that because what God's got in store for me is so much better than what this is. These are people who, this is all they've got. This world, this life, 
is all they've got. And they've got to make the best of it. They're trying to stretch it out and, and lengthen it. What idiots, right? They want this life to go on and on and on. Who would want that in this sinful condition that you and I are in? It's, it's, it's idiocy. Yes, we're to, to manage and to take care of this, this temple, the Bible calls it, that you and I have until the Lord's done with it. But let's him make that decision. We don't have to take blood out of young people to make us feel better. That's theirs. Let them get old. They got to go through the same thing that we did or we do. It's just, it's just absolute insanity. And, and, and Jesus does not overlook the shedding of innocent blood. There's a proverb that says, the nation that sheds innocent blood will not go unpunished. That's probably every nation in the world, to say the least. He talked about it in Matthew chapter 23, verses 34 through 36. He says, sir, therefore, indeed, I send you prophets. He's speaking to the religious people. Got some religious people here today. He says, therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. If that's what's coming upon that generation of Jesus' day, what is coming on this generation, folks? Right? And, and it's well-deserved. And, and so uh, the Lord is, is pretty uh, serious about this. And why is it always kids? I mean, we don't have to, there's nothing new under the sun, right? You don't have to go back very far, uh, it, it, but it's always the kids. Uh, Egypt, you remember Egypt? What, they were chucking all the baby boys into the river in, uh, in Israel. Uh, they, when they fell, what they do? They started placing their babies on the arms of Molech, but they would get them white hot first and then place their babies on and sacrifice them and burn them alive. Um, in Jesus' day, Herod, he killed all the babies there in Bethlehem. And we Americans have been killing babies in the womb for over 40 years. What kind of judgment is gonna come? I'm telling you what, folks, it's gonna be ferocious. A ferocious judgment is gonna come. And that's why you and I need to repent and keep our hearts right before the Lord. Now, uh, some of these kids had been taken from their families. There was an indigenous tribe that we had actually first scheduled to go see. But when, when they got there, there were so many drug crimes right there uh, where we are at, they decided not to take us down there. We would have had to have on helmets and bulletproof vests. But this indigenous tribe has lost over 100 kids in the last year. The queen actually contacted this Pastor Gabriel, who we hooked up with down there. Said, what do we do? They're taking our kids. And they're doing this stuff to our kids. And, and then some, some of the kids were actually sold by their parents. 
there was a little, little girl, a little six-month-old girl. You got that one, Jamie. Is she there? She's six months old. She was 24, 24 hours away from getting her organs harvested. Her parents had sold her, and they rescued her. And uh, she is so cute. Her name's Maria. And uh, so cute. And um, one boy was there, this good, really good-looking kid. He was Italian, and here he was in Central America. What happened was his parents had moved uh, to Central America thinking uh, to have a better life. And it was a mom, a dad, and three kids, two girls and this boy. And um, the dad found some little hottie there in Central America, left his wife. She started turning tricks to feed the kids. Her and her oldest daughter went into prostitution. And then she eventually got strung out on drugs and she sold this little boy for his organs. And, um, and they rescued him. And it's just like story after story. I was jumping on the trampoline when I started to get to know some of the kids. I don't know. I didn't know Spanish kids had the name like Gerald. And um, I can't remember uh, all of them. Of course, the Jose, that's a pretty common name. Um, but, but one little boy named uh, Damien, he, um, he corrected me on how to say his name. But so I was asking the, I was asking the pastor later about Damien. And I, I said, he seemed to be a little bit distant. He said, we just, he says, we haven't had Damien very long. And he's, he's nine years old. And he said, Damien was forced to rape his three-year-old sister. And, uh, and he, um, he couldn't, he just couldn't get past it. It was just uh, eating him up. Um, another little girl, she's three years old, so damaged by her abusers that she has to have reconstructive surgery. And it's socialized medicine there, so she's on a waiting list. Uh, adorable little girl. And you think, how can this be? How can this be possible? I think the only reason my wife and I actually made it through the thing is we had read a book about a traffic victim here in the U.S. She was trafficked by her grandfather for the time she was three to the time she was 16. And um, kids out. One page that we read in that book, it tipped me over for two or three days. This is going on in America. Not only that, but this grandpa, when he would, after he would abuse her, he would play Amazing Grace and How Great Thou Art. And this woman that wrote this book, it's called The Lucky One. She, uh, she loves Jesus. And that just gives you hope that these kids can actually be redeemed. And so um, my wife and I, we read that book. So when we start hearing these stories, is, is crazy. the craziest one we heard while we were down there was a little group of girls, the, 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 the perpetrators, which are mainly American men, median age of 40. And they were going to... Uh, take these little girls and rape them, but some of them were concerned that they would be found out from the screams of the girls because they were all little, pure little six and seven and eight-year-old girls. And they say, oh no, we take you to a waterfall where you can't hear anything, it's so loud. And then after you guys do your deed, then we throw the girls in the river and the crocodiles eat them. Do you got pictures of those? 
this river was infested with these crocodiles. And you're like, you got to be kidding me, right? So, so we're, we're thinking about this stuff and we're meeting with this, this pastor and we're seeing these kids and, and um, lastly, uh, well, we were reminded by the guy that, that brought us there from far, far reaching. He says, listen, Satan hates God and Satan hates the image of God, right? He hates the image of God. He hates your children. He hates you. He, he'll do anything to destroy you. And he's trying to destroy these kids. And, and there's people like this, Pastor Gabriel, that just step in there. And I might have mentioned it last week about standing on the top rung of the ladder, right? About being involved some way, shape, or form in, in helping. This guy and his family are just, uh, well, they're my heroes now. He's got a wife, he's got two twin boys and, and a girl. And, and last of all, he took us into a town. And in, in, uh, in this country, uh, the town is known by the locals as Sodom and Gomorrah. So he takes us out uh, on this beach way away and he, he shows us. And it looks like a cool city right on the beach with some high rises. And he takes us and he says, that's Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, I wanted you to see it from here because we're going to go in and you're going to see how dark it is. And so we went into the city and, and uh, it was, he said, I'm going to take you some places. He says, you might get fired up. He said, restrain yourself. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And um, so he pulls into this, this uh, paid for parking area right next to a, to a hotel uh, casino. And then he takes us out and we walk out of the gate and we start walking towards the beach and there's a gate down there. But as we walk down, there's a, there's a sidewalk and a, a, just a little building there and a sidewalk. And all of a sudden, these 12, 13, 14-year-old prostitutes start walking out. And, um, and he took us down there for a reason. And so we get to this gate and this guy's looking at us and one of the pastors, he's a young guy, all tatted up and he took his shirt off and he has a camera he's trying to be... He says... Pretend like you're tourists, right? And this guy looks at us and goes, you guys can't go down here. And so we went and went in an alley and then went down and hit a, ran right into a restaurant. And so Gabriel, he, he kind of knows the, the way things works down there. And they said, we can't have you guys. There's too many of you. You, you got to have reservations. He says, well, can we at least walk through and go to the beach? He says, yes, you can walk. So we walked through and went to the beach. We weren't on the beach for two minutes and the cartel showed up. And they watched us for about a half an hour, right? BMW, right? Four guys, glass sunglasses, boom boxes. They jump out of their cars and they watch every move we make. Now, in this country, obviously, they love Americans, right? We basically pay their bills. All the money that Americans spend down there in tourism and what have you. And so this, it was still daylight at this time. So he says, we're going to go have dinner. And then he says, I'm going to take you back to the van. And so uh, we had dinner and it started getting dark and we pulled back to the van and we noticed in that hotel casino, busloads, busloads of men were going into that casino, busloads. And as we were pulling out the great uh, a van, totally packed full of white men going in there. My, mom, my wife says, it's ruined me. 
This ruined me. Now when we're at the airport, we're seeing three or four or five white guys standing in line to get on their plane. You think, what are you doing here? The lust in the heart of men is so, so dark and so diabolically evil, right? That it's, it's almost like it, it just continues to progress until these, these people are dead. My wife asked him, because once them girls hit 12, 13, 14, they, they don't want to, they're kind of used to the lifestyle by then. And, and, you know, they're pimps buying cell phones and cute dresses and, and what have you. And my wife asked, asked uh, Pastor Gabriel, he says, when do these girls age out? He says, well, they usually don't age out, but they're usually dead by the time they're 20. Right? And, um, and so we, we uh, then we start asking questions and we, he started telling us what it takes what it takes once the kids get to the safe house. That's the easy part. Getting the kids to the safe house is the easy part. Uh, but once they're there, then the, the marathon battle begins. Their staff is incredible. So they, nobody stays at that, at that house uh, 24-7. So they have three shifts, three day, eight-hour shifts, and they have different groups for each one of those eight-hour shifts to be with the kids. They have licensed and professional psychiatrists and psychologists to, to help these kids process uh, what, what has happened to them and, 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 and begin to teach them how to actually engage in this battle. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. Most of you know it, but, um, but it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. The rehab of these children, it's a lifelong thing, right? It takes forever. You, you don't just bring them in and put them through a 12-step program till they're 15, 16, 17 years old and turn them loose. Because when things would get hard, they would gravitate right back towards that. So so while we were um, while we were there, Gabriel shared a story with us a few uh, several months earlier. He was up in the U.S. and five gunmen showed up at his house where his wife and, and uh, three children were, and they tied him up and they demanded a ransom. I guess that's quite common there in this country. They'll just, the cartel will kind of just scope you, your out and your lifestyle and think, oh, they could probably, because most of the, most the houses are in a compound. I mean, they got electronic gates. They got, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, all the windows have bars on them. Uh, but, but the cartel will check people out. Oh, they could probably afford 2,000, 3,000, 5,000. See, there's no military there. And the police get paid five to 700 bucks a month so the cartel just slips them a thousand bucks and they turn their head. And so they had her bound and, um, and they called him. And of course he's freaking out, um, knowing that, that his, um, that his bride and, um, kids are 
in these guys' uh, presence. And so they pay the ransom. He lets them go. And when he gets home, he asks his wife. He says, should we keep doing this? And she said, Gabriel, if we don't do this, every one of these kids is going to be right back in there, right back where we rescued them from. They're, they're going to have to be in this for the long haul. And, and it's brutal. I've watched people adopt kids from different countries with all kinds of syndromes, attachment, detachment things. And um, it, it's hard. It's really hard. But to see these guys resolve to say, no, we're staying with these kids. We're going to be with them no matter what. Because they're so damaged uh, from what's been done to them or what they have done, like I talked about Damien, that... Um, it's, first of all, their first order of rehab is to have them not kill themselves because so many of them want to commit suicide. It wasn't just Damien. A lot of them that come out of that, they just want to be dead because of what's been done to them. And so they, that's all they talk about when they first get them is they want to kill themselves. They want to commit suicide. And once they talk to them and pray with them and consult with them and read God's word to them and tell them the gospel and, and get them kind of on the, in the right uh, headspace, then they, they were going to try to start sending them to school and, and educate them. Well, they can't do that there because the public schools, they see how far behind these kids are and they just throw them a biscuit and, and put them in a special ed program and just get them through. They don't teach them anything. And because the kids already think they're convinced they can't learn anything, they'll tell them, I'm stupid. We're, we don't know anything. And it's, it, they've just been stunted ac academically. And so they spend many days and nights counseling them and getting them past those, those two things, um, wanting to kill themselves and actually realizing that, no, God's given you an awesome mind you can use it. And so they began to educate them. So they started a school. I don't know if we got a picture of the, of the sanctuary in the school. It's all one piece. And the, the, uh, there in the sanctuary, they got a really good deal in this place, and they have to build six classrooms. So they're going to need uh, some teams to come down and help them build some classrooms for these kids. So they started their own school, started their own school staff, and uh, these kids are learning. And... Um, and they're, they're being redeemed, right? They're being redeemed. And so um, this house has just been, and this pastor are just uh, incredible people. And they, um, they, they put together this team. I don't know how they pay them. Some of them I know are volunteer. Um, and people always ask, well, can these kids be adopted? The adoption process there is so... Um, lengthy that it takes almost five years to adopt a child. The little girl, it, the little six month though, there's a possibility that she could be adopted, but others, sometimes it takes up to five years. So then they're teenagers and nobody wants teenagers. And some of the ones that have been adopted out actually have been abused by those who adopted them. And so it's just like, wow. And I think I got a bad. So you can see that when I mentioned last, last uh, Sunday that I was exposed to a, 
a brand of Christianity that I wasn't real uh, familiar with uh, in Pastor Gabriel and his family. Um, they're so committed. They're committed to these kids all the way through college because they believe if they could get them all the way through college and obviously all that time their psyche is being healed, their hearts are being healed, their souls are being healed, the Holy Spirit's doing an awesome work in their life that they can actually take care of themselves uh, professionally. And so they really believe uh, that the Lord has called them to, to see them all the way through. And I don't even know if they have that all figured out yet. Right, their oldest one is is 13, and she's been there for about a year, year and a half. This is a pretty, uh, this is a pretty young, young safe house. They haven't been been up and going that much. But West Bentley and Far Reaching Ministries heard what Gabriel was doing. He said, "Man, we're going to help this guy." So they vetted him. They vet him quite well, actually. They do FBI searches and background stuff and surveillance and all that stuff to make sure these guys are uh, on the up and up. So that's their, um, that's their plan for these kids' lives. And uh, they're all in. Um, they're the resource to help uh, pull down the strongholds that we just uh, read about there in 2 Corinthians. Because these kids have so many of them, right? Um, going through what they've been through. And... Um, and so they've got a, a, a great guardian in Pastor Gabriel. He was a, uh, he's a black belt. Check this out. Never heard of this. He's a black belt in, in ninjutsu. Ninjutsu is you don't learn to defend yourself. You just learn to kill people. <laughs> but the, God hasn't let him kill anybody yet. And I know he's wanted to, right? Um, and so... Um, There's a, there's, a pic, there's a slide with six older girls on it, uh, Jamie. We, we took these six girls to coffee, and, um, and we've heard some of their stories. Three of them were rescued out of that Sodom and Gomorrah city we were in. And we sat down, and we just started talking to them. And uh, they, uh, they were smiley and joyful. One of them had only been in the house for six days. She'd only been rescued for six days. And they aged from age 10 to 13. And the one on the, I think it's the far left, long, dark hair, um, her name, she was actually on the video that Jonathan showed us when he came here. And they had just got her. And, and she came from that town as well. And she's just, this is just a beautiful, articulate, smart girl. And she wanted to kill herself. She tried killing herself. And... Um, several times. And uh, both her parents died, I think, after they had kind of given her up. And, um, and to just, we went around and they would share their favorite Bible verse with us and they would share what they wanted to be when they grew up. And she wants to be a missionary doctor. And um, I'm just thinking, golly, it's so cool. Here we see, you know, I saw that picture of her and that video of her when she first got to the house. And then now seeing her wanting to be a missionary doctor. And the 13-year-old, we ask her, what, what do you want? She goes, I want to help kids that's been through what I've been through. And she already is. I asked the youngest one there, Maria. I said, who's, who's your best friend here? And she points over to Azul's her name. And she goes, she's my best friend. And that's what Azul said. She wants to help. I'm thinking, you already are. You're already ministering to these kids who are coming in and have been through what you've been through. 
That's how God redeems things, right? That, that, is, that is the beauty of it. Um, this is an incredible work that's going on down there. And it's, some people would say, well, Scotty, this stuff is going on all over the world. Why, why would Out West want to help down there? Because they're in front of us, right? There, there, there are literally houses like what Pastor Gabriel's doing all around the world in different countries. We were going to go to Mexico and Cancun, and they changed it on us right at the, right at the end. One was a boy's home, one was a girl's home. And um, we're going to do it because it's, it's been presented to us. G, uh, John, the apostle, said this in 1 John 3. He says in verse 16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We have some resources. We want to help these guys. Well, how are we going to do that? I don't know. They would like a team to come down and do a VBS. I wouldn't be comfortable taking young people down there yet until I'm more familiar with it. They, 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 they need a crew to come build those six classrooms for those kids and to do electrical work. They, they need all kinds of help. They need financial help. And, and it's in front of us. And so we're going to help them. I don't know totally how yet. We're still praying about that. I'm still reeling from that trip. It's, it's overwhelming. But it was so hopeful to see the smile on those girls' faces and, and, and God, that God's redeeming him. He, he's bringing them out of the darkness into the glorious light. Now, God's going to put stuff in front of us right here in Idaho Falls. We were having a meeting the other day, a prayer meeting. We have a prayer meeting on Tuesday. And we were talking, and one guy pipes up, and he goes, you know, he says, Christians don't want to be in, inconvenienced. Christians don't want to be inconvenienced. That's why people don't do anything. They'll come in church and sit and complain. But they won't give any part of their life for the kingdom of God's sake. You shouldn't call yourself a Christian if that's you. Right? Because Jesus has called us to be like him in that we lay down our life to help others. And that could manifests itself in a lot of different ways. It could be financially. It could be just going and spending time with people. It could be teaching people. But I don't have much use for those who name the name of Christ and turn the other way. And I know God wouldn't have us do that, you guys. God loves you. He loves me. He has blessed us. He has given us a life like no other. In this world, you go around the world, you're going to find 98% of the world is less fortunate than you and has greater needs. And we twiddle our thumbs and complain about our lives. Shame on us. And I'm with you. I'm guilty. I'm not just beating on the sheep. I love what Pastor Gabriel said. He said, I ain't no shepherd. I'm just the sheep dog. 
Well, I'm out of notes. Let's pray. Lord, there is... Uh, so many people in this world that don't know you. So many that need to be redeemed by you. Lord, we've exposed this darkness. And now we have to make a decision what we're going to do about it. You've called us to be salt and light in this world. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us the brass, Lord, the intestinal fortitude to step out and be those who pick up our cross daily and follow you. Truly redeeming the time for the days are truly evil. And the enemy is pulling out all the stops. Lord, there's wars and rumors of wars. There's darkness in every corner of our world. And yet there you are. The all-powerful one, the all-present one, the all-knowing one. And you've called us for such a time as this to make a difference in this world. Oh, Lord, give us, give us your heart. Lord, I thank you for the heart of, of Pastor Gabriel and his wife and his children, Lord, that have extended themselves and they've stepped into a battle into the trenches with these little ones to redeem them and to bring them to a place of life everlasting. Lord, we love you. We know that you have plans for all of us. Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts. I know that there are people in this room right now. Lord, they're dabbling with darkness. Lord, would you, would you call them out? Call them out of that darkness. Lord, put your light in their souls. Help them to help us to turn our eyes from evil, as the psalmist wrote, that we would look away and that we would look to you. The author and finisher of our faith, the one from whence comes our help. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would inhabit our praise as we say this, sing this worship song. Lord, and for those who need prayer, Lord, maybe, maybe you're just speaking to hearts right now and those who need prayer. Lord, saying, oh Lord, here am I like the prophet Isaiah, send me. So Lord, would you just do that and do it now in Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. Let's all stand, do this last song. <laughs>